morning, everybody. In case uh, you missed it, our worship team found the Fountain of Youth. Chad grew hair. This is, uh, this is actually our student band. And uh, with Chad is uh, on vacation with his family this week. And in the next two weeks, he's going to Guatemala on a mission trip. And uh, so this week, we are privileged to have the worship, the student band with us, which is pretty cool to have a student band that is effective enough at leading worship where they can fill in. And uh, I'm telling you, it was like the Twilight Zone. They don't know who that is, but you guys do. And it's like something creepy just happened. They all got young. I don't know how to explain Glenda becoming Jeff, but uh, I'm going to leave that alone. It's a new day in America, I'll tell you. <laughs> oh, that was really funny, but I'm going to have to resign after that. Okay. Welcome to Carpenter's Way. We are glad to have you here. Uh, we are um, thankful for air conditioning, and uh, we're praying for rain. That's all I can say about that. But uh, would you take your worship guides? Let me, let me highlight a few things so that you are aware. If you're watching on the Internet this morning, um, you can actually look on there, and we have our worship guide online and everything. But I, I do want to highlight some things. Uh, our missionary this week is we support uh, Kent and uh, Amy who are missionary aviation missionaries, and uh, they're part of our mission family. And this is one that you may not be aware of as we started uh, uh, supporting them financially and through our prayers just in the last year or two. So uh, take some time, read through that, be praying for them. Uh, as I always say, your refrigerator should be full now of people you're praying for, So, uh, but wanted to make hi uh, highlight that. Also, uh, starting uh, this week on the 31st, July 31st, we have our team going to Guatemala. This will be our third or fourth mission team we have going out this summer. It's the last one of the summer. Uh, but please, please, please be in prayer for them. There is a list of things that they're collecting. Uh, so if you can help with any of these things, they will be taking this with them as they minister to children there. Um, and uh, it has the team on there so you can begin praying for them. Uh, I also want to mention that right now going on in our library, we have a big group of folks in there that are meeting for our Carpenter's Way 101 class. And that is how you become a member of Carpenter's Way. It's a one-Sunday class. It'll run till about 11.45. The reason we do that is so that it parallels child care, so that if you have children, you can be in there. But we encourage you to go. Even if you're not going to become a member, we go through our doctrine. You'll meet all the leadership of the church. It gives you a chance to answer, ask questions. Um, there are lots of differences at Carpenter's Way, uh, not necessarily doctrinally, but how we apply it. And so you may, uh, may, that's the place to ask questions. So we encourage you to sneak away and, and, and make your way in there uh, and, and join us for that. I also want to highlight in the worship guide uh, something middle bottom. There is an Amazon trip, uh, mission trip in September. So I was wrong. It's not the, la it's the last one of the summer, but we have one in the fall this year. Uh, September 14th through the 20th. It is a shorter trip. If you have any questions, you can call Pam Hudson. That is uh, ladies only. Uh, yeah, we are still doing that at Carpenter's Way. So um, a ladies-only trip. If you're interested, talk to Pam, or you can contact the office, and we will put you in contact with them. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward as we take our offering this morning. Uh, for those of you who are in this room and visiting with us, uh, we're glad you're here. Uh, this offering goes towards supporting the ministries here at Carpenter's Way, uh, but also supporting the missionaries. I just mentioned one. We have 10,000 we support through the Southern Baptist Convention, and then also we have 14 others that we as a church have adopted 
ministries and missionaries that we support individually, and that's what that money goes for. If you're visiting, if this is not your church home, we just ask that you pass the plate as it goes by. Uh, um, this is not for you. The rest of the service we want you to participate in, but this is for those of us who attend here regularly as we've committed to support the ministries and, and all that stuff. So let's pray and ask God to bless our time. We'll turn it back over to the worship team, and then we'll be in our second week of our study of Jonah. So we're glad you're here this morning. Father, we love you. Uh, we're thankful that you love us. Uh, we're thankful that we can gather together and encourage each other in this comfortable place and, and uh, listen to you. And, and uh, Lord Jesus, this morning we pray uh, that you would meet with us. I pray that you wouldn't just meet with us, Lord, but you meet with all your children that are gathering around this community, Father, to worship you and to learn from you. Father, we think of First Assembly this morning and, and Harmony Hill and Southside and um, Calvary Baptist, Lord, as you continue to work in these churches. We pray for Mark at First Baptist Church as he's just kind of beginning his ministry there, that you bless his ministry. And Lord Jesus, we pray for Clausen and, and all the churches, Lord, that will open the word this morning. We pray that your spirit through the word of God would change our hearts and our lives, would convict us of sin, would, would, uh, would overwhelm us with your grace and your mercy and spur us on to love and good deeds. We do love gathering, Lord. We love your church and we ask you that we would be, uh, Father, we would be uh, supportive of what you're doing in the lives of others and um, thank you again for letting us meet. Uh, thank you for the, uh, the offering that we're going to take as part of our worship this morning. Um, we pray you would multiply it for your use, and uh, we'll be careful to use it for your glory very carefully. So thank you for this morning. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for the student worship band that gets to lead us today. We pray you'd bless them and that they would be overwhelmed with joy in this ministry and, and that we would reap much from their, uh, their ministry to us. And so we love you. Um, Bless us, meet with us, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
there on the wedding day There in the weeping by the graveside There in the very breath we Darkest night of the soul. 
You know, I was thinking as I was watching how rewarding it must be for Jeff and Mark Dubose, who lead our student ministry to see our kids up here leading worship and not just performing, but actually leading worship. You know, I, I, it's not just those two. Um, man, Mark, how many, how many volunteers do you have that work with our students? Is it 20-some? It's like between 20 and 25, I think. And uh, I think Alicia's probably with the kids at this point. She'll be back in in a few minutes. I mean, we, we have well over 100 volunteers down there. And, you know, I, I was, it's, it's funny. I come in on Sunday mornings, like a lot of you, and I look around, and I go, where is everybody, you know? Where's a lot of our people? And, you know, oh, they must be on vacation or whatever. And then all of a sudden I realize, do you know that every week we've had worship, uh, ministry teams out? We have students and college-age kids working at camps. I mean, they don't get any, they don't get any acknowledgement. But the reality is, we got kids working at camps this summer. We've got adults working at camps. Uh, Larry Brevard, who's one of our worship leaders up here, and Mel and uh, Hayden went and worked for a week at a camp and led worship at least one week, if not two. Uh, I look out in the congregation and I see some of our folks who work in prisons. I see ministry leaders from the Mosaic Center, the Pregnancy Help Center, and you know they don't get a lot of. They don't get. A, I mention them during worship, a minist- a mission times, but. We don't prop them up. I mean, they're just like the rest of us. They just do it full-time, some of them. But I, I look around the room. We got next Sunday, we got a group of folks that are going to head towards uh, Guatemala to serve. And it is pretty remarkable to realize what God does through faithfulness out, out of a congregation. This, you know, a lot of times I think the tradition has been in my heart in the past that you kind of evaluate the effectiveness of the ministry of the Lord in your, in your flock based upon how many people get saved or even how many are baptizing. And I actually think that a measure of a flock is more how many are serving. And I'm, I'm blown away by that. And that's not a pastor thing or a program thing. That's a you thing. And it's really, really important as we, as we keep going through Jonah and I talk about this, this guy who was a prophet of God who didn't want to go to this group of people, um, the fact is that from all that we know, Jonah didn't mind being a prophet. He didn't mind it at all. Uh, he, he, he may even have liked being the prophet of God to the Jews. Most didn't. Most prophets didn't like that, but he might have. Having said that, there was just one group of people he didn't want to go to. And it's easy, it's, it's easy as we serve to forget that there's so much more surrender that needs to take place in our hearts. And I just, I, I just wanted to start with two things. First of all, I want to say it is incredible to be a part of a flock where people are serving inside, but even more outside. I mean, it blows my mind. And they're not just kids. There's adults. And uh, we've, we've got folks who serve in the junior league. And I know it's like, well, that's not ministry. Oh, you better believe it's ministry. Some of the teachers are beginning to re-prepare or prepare themselves to go back. You'll notice those that aren't, they're smiling twice as bright. They retired this year. But the fact is others are getting geared up. That is your mission field. That's a mission field. 
And I happen to know, because I've been watching for years, when a teacher retires, it only takes a year for them to get back involved in the lives of kids. You can't help yourself. It's part of your mission field. And I, I just, I just want to begin by saying that as we go through this, man, God's spurring us on to keep going. It's not that you're not doing it. It's incredible to stand up here and watch what God is doing. And I am blown away. I am so, I know this is a really bad word in the church, I'm so proud to be your pastor. I, I am, though, and, uh, and when I sit around, I listen to pastors complain about their flock, I just smile and go, I don't, so how is it in your church? It's great. Really? How's it really going? It's great. Seriously now, how is it? It's great. We have our issues, but you, you are serving the Lord. And this study of Jonah isn't about you doing it, it's about you not getting blind to some of it. Because that's where Satan does his best work in our hearts. It isn't that we're not willing to serve. It's that we're not willing to serve where we're not comfortable. Or for the people we don't like. That's Jonah. So if I get excited because I love, I am, the more I read, the more, I'm, I'm, the more I love this, le- this book. It's not a letter. It's a book, this historical book. Um, many theologians believe Jonah wrote it. Some of them believe he wrote it with tongue-in-cheek as a, to laugh at himself like we do. Like, <laughs> Like I did a couple weeks ago about a garage sale. I mean, we just have to laugh at ourselves. This is such a hilarious book. If you don't think this book is funny, well, then you don't have a sense of humor because it is funny. By the way, one more group. We have a group of about four or five guys. You you don't know this, but they're gone two or three Sundays a month because they're preaching in other churches. Uh, Some are Gideons, like Gary. And Jeff does it sometimes. They go into other churches and, they, and, and they'll say, oh, we don't preach, we present the Gideons. We all know they preach about the Word of God, about salvation. I mean, it's, it's quite incredible to see what God is doing through members of our family. And I want to remind you that we're not the only family of God in town. We're not even the best family of God in town. We're just one small piece of what God is doing. And we pray for our brothers and sisters when they hurt, and we don't celebrate in their hurting. We've hurt at times in the past at church. Just keep praying for us. We're the body of Christ together, and we are a unique side of it. We're that side of the family that everybody goes, they're a little out of control. Yeah, we are, man. Mohawk and tattoos, baby. (laughs) But, you know, uh, I just, I just, I don't know. I just really, as I was watching them lead worship, and I, I know these kids, and they ain't perfect but they love the Lord. I mean, how cool, as a pastor, it is really cool to sit out here and listen to Hayden lead worship and know that his heart belongs to the Lord. Is he perfect? Nah. Nah. Ask Paula and Kip, but, but he, loves, he loves the Lord. And it must be incredibly rewarding, Mark, to look up here and see these kids you've loved since they were little kids. And, and for Alicia, and, and I mean, it must be incredible. Um, I love that you're leading worship. I do. I'm so proud of you. You were this little kid when I came who wouldn't talk to me. Now you're a big kid that won't talk to me, but it's so cool seeing you lead worship, Gracie. So proud of you. It's cool. Pray for these kids because you know what happens? They'll get good at it. And you saw this morning, if you, you, know, if you didn't realize how young they were, you'd have thought it was just another worship team. That's, that's effective because it ain't about their age. They're not the church of tomorrow. They're the church of today, of, the, of right now. They are the church of right now. They, they are involved in ministry and serving and growing. They are the church of today. Pray for these kids. Because as I say these things, they start going, yeah, we were pretty good, weren't we? 
what we need to do is start teaching other youth group worship teams how to sing. No, you need to just do your job and walk with God. It's good. It's good. Okay. Jonah 1, 1 and 2. I love that picture. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. So Jonah was a prophet of the Most High God of Israel who had told him to go to the ancient city of Nineveh, and it was very old at the time of this writing, and proclaim God's judgment against her because he had seen how sinful or wicked or evil she was. Uh, Jonah uh, 3 tells us that God had seen her violence and her arrogance and was about to rain down judgment on them if they didn't repent in a period of 40 days. Ironically, just to give you a little history that I haven't as of yet, this is our third week in this book, but <laughs> I'm so used to doing New Testament letters. But it, it, just to give you some history, this book is ironically founded by Noah's great-grandson Nimrod. That's not just a name you call somebody when they're doing something silly. But Nimrod, who you may or may not remember, was the founder of the Tower of Babel. This is really interesting when you spend time studying the city of Nineveh because Babel and Nineveh have a lot in common. They're built on arrogance. Uh, as opposed to what we were taught in flannel graph, you know, the Tower of Babel was not, was not a tower of worship. That's not what it was, um, even though we were taught that in Sunday school, a lot of us. The Tower of Babel was to be a grand, better than any man had ever built a tower. At the top, there was a temple to the sun god. But please understand, when you study an ancient town, whether it's, whether it's Nineveh or it's the Tower of Babel or Babylon, every town temple. Every town had a god. There was nothing uniquely evil or wicked about Nineveh or the Tower of Babel. There was something that had, they had in common, though. They were both arrogant. The Tower of Babel was built with the underskirted idea that we can make our way to God. So at the top of this high tower, they build this temple to the sun god as a way of saying, God, here we are. We've made our way to you. And we all know you can't do that. Please understand as, as we start this that everybody is born religious. Everybody. Everybody tries to make their way to the judge on their own. Nobody wants to fall, stand before him and go, I can't do this. That's humbling. We as human beings think we're good enough all the time. We're not when it comes to sin. We may be good at a lot of things, but we cannot solve our spiritual problem. And many of us, and, and, and as I've traveled with Zach this summer, and he's talking about being deceived, I am keenly aware, again, that we in religious circles are continuing to self-deceive. We think if we're good, attend church, if we do this and this and this, that somewhere God sits back and goes, I am sure glad I saved you. Let me tell you, he's glad he saved you because it reflects well on himself, not because you're accomplishing things he needs to get accomplished. He will do it without you. I'm going to come to this again later in the message, but I remember as a kid sitting under David Jeremiah, and I remember him specifically saying that you are God's plan A, and he has no plan B. I am standing here today to tell you he was absolutely wrong. He doesn't need a plan A. His plan is going to happen, whether we help him or not. He has invited us as his kids to participate with him. It's better than that. You know, I love when Zach's off during the summer because my, my lawn theoretically gets mowed. When he's in Chicago with Moody, my lawn still gets mowed, but I sure like to allow him to participate in the family mowing of lawns for lots of reasons. But you know what? 
He doesn't realize at this age what a privilege it is not to own that lawn, to just mow it. He doesn't realize all the expenses and the watering and all the whatever else you do for the house and the property. He's beginning to because he's starting to pay bills. But the reality is it is a privilege to not own but to participate. And I want you to know today that God has not put his plan on your shoulders. He's invited you to join him in his plan. And if you choose not to, lots of stuff can happen. We're going to get into that in coming weeks. But let me just begin by saying you're not plan A and there is no plan B. You're his kid. And he's just inviting you to participate in the family plan. If you choose not to, well, we'll talk about that. But the fact is, the fact is that for a lot of the stuff you're going to do, it's going to be fun. Leading worship. Did you guys have fun this morning? I'm looking at just you as a representative of the band because I don't know where Hayden is. He, he probably left the church. I don't know. But the, but the fact is, it's fun to do this stuff, especially when you're done. I remember when I started preaching. I love to preach, and now it's, it's, it's my favorite hour of the week. Some of you are like, no, it's, it's like an hour and 15 minutes. Um, I, it, it's my favorite time of the week. It's, it's not hard for me. I don't get scared. I get excited now. I don't prepare a three-point sermon. I just prepare what God puts on my heart. So it's kind of a devotional. It's, very, it's like you're my therapy. I, I get to vent to you what God is saying to me. It's the coolest thing. Um, but there was a time when I, I, I loved preaching after I was done preaching, but while I was doing it, I was scared to death. And, but when it was over and, and all the same six people told me I was the best preacher they ever heard, now I know not to trust people who tell you they're the best preacher you ever heard. But when I was younger, I was like, yeah, that was great. God is sure lucky to have me on his team. <laughs> now I'm like, wow, I can't believe anybody ever shows up on Sunday mornings. But the, but the truth is, it's a privilege. Wow, what a privilege. I mean, many of you know what I'm talking about with Vacation Bible School. It's so exciting when it's over. It's tiring in the middle, but then you go, we accomplished something this week. Seven kids got saved, and, and, and families were encouraged. And how amazing is that? In your ministry, when you serve, sure, it's difficult in the time. But then there's times God asks you to do things that are difficult. And God asked Jonah to go to an arrogant, violent town, not a fish-slapping-in-your-face town like VeggieTale says, but a genuinely difficult, evil community, Gentile community, to evangelize them. They were arrogant. They had been birthed like the Tower of Babel, not in the anti-God rhetoric that we think, but in a religious rhetoric that we don't realize that says, I can make my way to God. Look how great humanity can be. I want to warn you that Satan is probably not going to send a demon in front of you or a naked person to tempt you. Most of you would know enough to run from that. He's going to tempt you just like Babel and Nineveh with the concept that you're good enough and you can do this on your own. That's where he does his best work. Because if he can get us to think that it's all our idea and he's not there, if he can get us to ignore him, we're in a dangerous situation. You know, um, God sent Jonah to evangelize people by warning them that he was going to destroy them in 40 days. Turn from their wickedness. And before I move on, I want to say that this truth wasn't just for Nineveh, it's true for us today, if you don't know Jesus Christ. And Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Let, let me just take a breath here and just explain that's still true. It, it doesn't mean you're going to die drinking yourself to death or you're going to die committing adultery. But sin has a cost. 
Spiritually, if you don't accept God's offer to forgive you, death is eternal judgment and separation from Him. He's a judge. He is truth. He is justice. He cannot fellowship with sin. You can't spend eternity with God because you're better nice than not nice. If there's sin, imperfection, He can't spend time with you. The wages of sin is death in your relationship with God. It is also death in your relationship with your spouse if you commit adultery. It's death in your relationship with your church. Sin always destroys what it touches. It's poison. It's nuclear. It's atomic. It, it, it hurts. The wages of sin is death. And if you don't know Jesus Christ and you die in your sins, you will spend eternity apart from God because you can't fellowship with God. But the second half is the story that God told Nineveh, not the Jesus Christ part because he didn't understand it all yet, but it's the part for you that you have to understand. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And if I, I just want to point out that the wages of sin is still death and ultimately God's judgment, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And boy, I tell you, as you listen in, those of you who don't know Jesus and are on our spiritual journey, and you listen to us as the children of God learning how he wants us to act in the world and, and going and wrestling through with who we are and, and how we interact, I want you to be careful not to miss the bottom line, the only thing that matters to you. How we view women or homosexuality or men or how, how we view baptism or how we view tongues, that has nothing to do with you if you're not a child of God. That's like, that, I mean, it's just, it's, I don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this except to say that's none of your business. That's a family conversation, and we're going to continue having it until we get home. We're going to have disagreements on theologies and different things, but there is one thing that we all agree on, and that is the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And while the, Satan wants you as a lost person distracted with the battle within the church on loving the gay person or uh, loving their sin, the sinner and not the sin, all that weird stuff that's going on right now, or how you deal with it, and, and, and you know, uh, what's going to happen when the government says the churches have to have bathrooms where transgender people... You don't need to worry about that. That's our concern. The only thing you need to worry about is dying in your sins. That's all. And we're here to tell you that Jesus Christ offers you forgiveness and mercy and grace if you will simply ask for it. And once you ask for it, you can join the family conversation. Then the rest of the stuff becomes relevant. But please don't get stuck in the church's rhetoric right now on how to deal with a culture that's stepping towards immorality, a post-moral culture, I believe. That's not your worry. You're, you're not part of morality or immorality. You're a nice person, but that doesn't mean you're right with God. We're trying to find out from our daddy how we interact with Nineveh. That's our conversation, and we have made it open so you can hear it. But please don't get stuck in that conversation because it's none of your business. It's not any more of your business than, than how my daughter is going to pay for college in two years. It's, it's not your business. You can give advice. You can counsel. But to listen in, you could think I'm a bad parent, but that's not your business because you're not part of my family. You understand? If you're part of my family, we can have this conversation. But we've allowed, brothers and sisters, the world to get into our conversations that are our conversations and they look at us and go, yeah, you're really a mess. And, and we're not. We're just trying to figure this out. Please go to Jesus. But for us, we have issues. Let me, let me pray for us. Father God, please help us to glean your truth, not Mark's truth, but your truth from this text. Amen. Um, so God goes to Jonah and says, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to minister to these people. And in verse 3, it tells us Jonah's response. The first two words tell you that there's a problem. But Jonah, the word but gives you an idea, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Okay, 
Pause for a second. Just to be clear, because you've got to see all this. This is a little nuance that we can do. Who was he getting away from? Question and answer time. The Lord. He was not getting away from Nineveh. Make it very clear. He was not running from Nineveh. He was running from the Lord. <laughs> he went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He, brought it, he bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Okay, so first thing you've got to understand is he was not running from Nineveh. He was running from, and here's what it looked like. Put the map up there for me, okay? <laughs> we believe Jonah was somewhere between these two, uh, Nineveh and Joppa, because he goes to Joppa to get a boat. So we believe he's somewhere in the middle. Histor historians tell us it would have been a 30-day walk from where he was to Nineveh. So he's probably closer down towards Joppa. But when God tells him to go to Nineveh on a 30-day journey, he gets in a boat and heads for Tarshish. Because he's not running from Nineveh. He's not in Nineveh. He thinks God's not going to be in Tarshish. He runs the opposite direction. Why was it his response? Because according to chapter 4, Jonah, who knew God would show mercy to these people he didn't like, didn't want him to show mercy to those people he didn't like. He wanted them to be judged. He thought it would be great to destroy the city of Nineveh and all its inhabitants. And frankly, this sounds all too familiar to me. We claim, this is how we phrase it today, and I'm going to attack this and some of you are going to have, I just want you to think about it, I might be wrong. But what we like to say in the church is, well, I love the sinner, I just hate their sin. Just to be clear, we're not acting like we, we love the sinner. We act like we hate the sinner and the sin. But not every sinner. We like people who overeat, we think that's silly. We like people who don't commit adultery but have a bad, you know, have a bad attitude. We say, oh, that's just Mark. He's just grumpy, bless his heart. We like lots of sinners, and we're okay with their sin, but there are certain sins we really, really don't like. And for Nineveh, for Jonah, Nineveh represented that. Um, the last two weeks, I was trying to make the case for you that in Jesus' final prayer, as well as in the Gospels when he's teaching the disciples, that the Father had sent him into the world, we know that, to reach the lost and to seek and save the lost. And then when he leaves us, he literally prays, Father, now as you sent me, I'm sending them. And it's not just in John 17. Last week I showed you in Matthew where Jesus specifically says that. As the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. So if we understand our task in this life, our Nineveh, our, our challenge, then we have to realize that we are to fulfill or finish what Jesus started. So let us be clear this morning on what it is that Jesus did and why he did it. Will you put John up there for me, please? Three. This verse is, these verses are so familiar, but I want you not to see it in terms of evangelism. I want you to see it this morning. Look at this with new eyes in terms of task. For God, referring to the Father this time, loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Pause for a second. There, okay, over there. Stop. Take a breath. We all know this. We know this verse so well that we, we just don't even think about it. But the important part for us this morning is to understand that Jesus was sent by the Father so that anybody who believes in him won't, have won't, won't perish but have eternal life, right? You get that? Not complicated. But I want you to understand from verse 17 the significance of the sending. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. 
In other words, why did Jesus come? He came to seek and save the lost. He came to not judge the world. The world's already judged. That's really important. He was going to call people to repentance, but it's not repentance like you did four things this week and you better knock it off and you've got to stop that and we've got to go through this list and you've got to list them. It's not like that. Even the woman who is caught in the sin of adultery, Jesus says, go and sin no more. He doesn't say, first you have to repent of everything you've ever done. Like the adultery you committed last night and then yesterday's hateful words and then the fight you had with your mom. We, we as Baptists were grown up, uh, grew up in, uh, hearing 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And we were taught out of that that every night you lay in bed and you go through your day and you list all your sins. That's not what that's teaching. Never do you have Jesus going, list your sins. We repent of a sinful nature. We repent of, of a desire that's always wrong. Jesus Christ didn't come into the world and say, you're gay, and you're an adulterer, and you're this, and you have a bad attitude. He did, he did point out people's sin, but he didn't list them. He pointed out their sin so that they would go, how do you know? I'm God. Take the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. She wants to go off like she's this great religious person, so Jesus has to remind her that he knows who she really is. Remember the debate over which, you know, you say we worship in the temple, but I say Mount Gerizim? Remember that conversation? Well, Jesus needs to get her back on track because it isn't about where you worship. It's about whether you have a worshiper's heart. So Jesus looks at her, and they have this conversation, and finally says, look, my father didn't send me to tell you where to worship. Those days are over. My father's just simply seeking those who worship in spirit and in truth. And she says, you don't know anything about me, basically. And he says, well, I know enough to know you've been married five times, and the man you're living with is not your husband. <gasps> and she runs to the city. And what does she say? Listen and come and meet a man who told me everything about me. You see, his point wasn't, you better go through a list. His point was, I know who you are, and I'm the only one who can save you. My father sent me to save you. You see, God wasn't actually calling Jonah to a community to say, these are the seven things you've done that really tick God off. He sent to say you're evil, you've rebelled, and God's going to destroy you unless something happens. Why am I taking this time? Because one of the things I hear in this debate over how we deal with people with immoral sins in this culture is I get a question, so we don't have to make them repent of their sins? And my response to that is everybody knows they're sinful. Anybody who's interested in God knows that they have a problem with him. You don't have to go through and list their sins for them. They know they're sinful. The point is, when you know you're sinful, do you want to die in your sins? That's the question. Daryl Douglas reminded me of that recently. It's such a simple question, and it's not offensive. Do you really want to die in your sins? <laughs> no. Well, Jesus is your answer. But I'm gay. Doesn't matter. I'm fat. And I still like deep fried food. I mean, the, the point is that there's forgiveness for your sins available, whatever it is. And yet, like Jonah, there are certain sins we don't like. For Jonah, it was a generation of people. It was uncircumcised heathens, wicked. He didn't like them. So realizing that God sent him to tell them to repent, he said, no, I'm going to go the other way. And to make it clear, we have a tendency to think that he's running from Nineveh. He's not. When you say no to God, you're not saying, no, I don't like people of that race or that sin. You're saying, I don't like your task for me. Lesson number one, you're never running from people you claim are the problem. You're running from obedience. 
But Jonah got up, verse 3 says, and he went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Verse 4, but the Lord, whenever it says, but the Lord, that's not good either for the person. Or it's great because it says, but God in his mercy. But the Lord had a different plan. He hurled, okay? So a few weeks ago during church, somebody said God never wreaks difficulty upon his children. Specifically saying, and there's a debate in this church over that, does God cause illness? To which I say, yes. Ask the church of Thyatira. He says, because you've rebelled against me, I am going to put you on a sickbed. Specifically. Or Job. God allowed Lucifer to put boils on him. Well, it was Lucifer doing it. God said, do it. I mean, throughout Scripture, you know, I mean, you have a person, a prophet putting his hand in his cloak, and it comes out, and he's got leprosy on his hand. That's God. And in this case, you have God furling, hurling, a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to shape, uh, shake, break, I have to be very careful with my shushers, to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors, take a moment, these aren't just you and me out on Lake Sam Rayburn. These are sailors. Yo-ho, yo-ho, the pirate's life for me. You know, these are the guys who are used to 50-foot waves on the Mediterranean Sea. These aren't, weenie, these aren't weenies, these aren't wimps, these are seafaring men. Fearing for their lives tells you just how intense this moment is. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, <laughs> I love this guy, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. <laughs> we're going to die, we're going to die. Everybody's afraid but Jonah, who doesn't seem to care. One of the things that I've been thinking about as I've gone through this text is about how often we think that our rebellion against God, is, uh, our sin, is private and no one's affected by it. Take a deep breath. There are no victimless sins. No such thing. Death always happens when sin exists. There's no such thing as that's private. See, see that's a lie of the Satan in the church. The, the lie of the evil one is, well, I'm just struggling right now. But you don't need, that's, when, that's how I say, don't worry about it. This is my problem. It's not your problem. It's our problem. These are a bunch of innocent, sinful, sea-bearing folks who are out in the middle of the waters, and they're about to be drowned because one dude is rebelling against God. There is no victimless sin. Your obedience or rebellion against God affects the people around you. I want to remind you that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm going to to read through some of this. Uh, Let me read it quickly. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives faith to another. And, And someone else, the Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, another to do uh, prophecy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Verse 12, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews and Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we all have been baptized into one, uh, one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, but not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not the hand, 
That doesn't make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not the eye, would it make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would it hear? <laughs> Sorry, but are you bored of this text? That's funny. In case you're not clear, Paul is being facetious. Okay, you guys have been reading this too long. Or if the whole body were near, uh, how would you smell anything? Now he's going to talk about feet. <laughs> Sorry. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually most necessary. And, all the, and the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we, clear, uh, we carefully protect these parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such uh, that extra honor are to be given to those parts with less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all members care for each other. If one part suffers, all parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all parts are glad. All all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you are part of it. So here's the point. We've been talking over the last few weeks about how God has given us three tools with which to encourage each other and to walk with God in this weird place we call earth. Three things. We have the Word of God. We all agree with that. The second thing you have is the Holy Spirit. We agree with that. But the third thing at this cultural time, we sort of think is less important, and that's each other. I would say that all three parts of that are equally important. We need each other to keep us straight as we study the Scriptures. We need the Holy Spirit to keep us together as we study the Scriptures. Any one of those three are missing, and you are unhealthy. If you're watching today on the Internet and you're not part of a local body of Christ, I don't care how many messages you listen to um, or how many times you give or how many times you pray, the fact is you're only two-thirds healthy. You need the family of God. That's how God built this. You need somebody who knows you and can look in your eyes and say it's okay. You need somebody to remind you that God is still good. Good. This text tells us that when one part of Christ's body hurts, we all hurt. Well, I'd like to add to that that when one of us is rebelling, we basically are all in some level of rebellion. When one part rebels, we are not a fully functioning, healthy family. If God is as sovereign as the Scripture says then God has positioned you and I in this church for such a time as this to accomplish His work in and around us. And if that's the case, and you are not fully surrendered, follow this thinking. If you as an individual are not fully surrendered to God in every part of your life to the best of your ability, then your family, your immediately family, is not a fully surrendered family. Does that make sense? If there are four members of your family and only three are walking with God, your family is not walking with God. It's three-fourths walking with God. See, you're an important part of your family. And if your family is not walking with God as a whole, then we as a church are not walking with God as a whole. We have a bad leg. We're dragging it around, pretending like we don't have a handicap. But we do. You see, if you're not in fellowship with God, your family's not in fellowship with God. And if your family's not in fellowship with God, this church is not in fellowship with God. And if this church is not in fellowship with God, then the body of Christ in Angelina County is not as healthy as she's supposed to be. You see, whether you attend Harmony Hill or Denman Avenue or First Assembly, we're still family. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The, it's the Holy Spirit that binds us together. We can argue eternal security till the day is long. I've got good news for you. You're wrong on that. God is much more gracious than you ever imagined. We'll figure that out in heaven, and I'm going to giggle. And you might be wrong about tongues, and we'll get there, and then you can laugh at me for missing out on all that. But in the meantime, we are still the body of Christ. And if our church is not fully functioning and, and healthy in our obedience to God because one family has a member of that family that's not, then our churches in Angelina County are not where we need to be spiritually. That's why when another church succeeds, we should celebrate that, and when they're hurting, we should pray over that because we are one. 
We may worship in different locations, but we're still family. And let me tell you, if the body of Christ in Angelina County is not 100% functioning, then that means that God's blessing on this community is not fully in, in effect. Because we as a family are at a handicap because one person chose to be disobedient to him. And if Angelina County isn't as spiritually healthy as God designed her to be, then the state of Texas is not as spiritually healthy as she designed her to be. And if the state of Texas is not as spiritually healthy as God designed her to be, then the United States of America is not fully functioning, and the church in America is not fully functioning. We're worried about a political system, and we don't even worry about ourselves. We're so busy being angry at everybody else's sin that we don't realize that we're part of the problem in the church. Because let me tell you, if the church in the United States of America, the body of Christ, those who are saved through faith in Christ alone, who have the Holy Spirit in them, are not fully surrendered to God, guess what? The world, the church in the world is a mess because one person in Angelina County who chose to be rebellious isn't surrendered. I thought you said that God's plan will come to fruition. It will, but there'll be a heck of a lot more joy if we do it together. You see, there is no secret sin. There are no private sins. There's no victimless sin. Your walk with God affects your spouse. This is not your wife's religion. You claim to be saved. Live like it. Lead your family in it. If you're not surrendered, we're not surrendered. If we're not surrendered, we're not surrendered. And if we're not surrendered, we're not surrendered. As I'm reading through this, I have a Jonah dude who really doesn't care at all for a bunch of sailors who are about to die at the hand of the God he's rebelling against. And you know, we have to ask ourselves, why is he sleeping in the bottom of the boat? Because I believe he'd rather die than obey. What has he got to fear? He knows he's right with God. He's a prophet. He speaks to God all the time. If you're not completely daily surrendering to God's will for your life, if you're not daily giving control over to him, then those around you, whether they know it or not, are affected by your rebellion. You might be saved, going to heaven, but if you're living for yourself, you're making us weaker. Just like Jonah, your willful sinfulness is the ultimate selfish act. It's time to knock it off. This wasn't as independent as you thought. Your salvation is independent. But then you are adopted into a family of brothers and sisters, and we need you obedient. Because guess what? I'm a mess, and I need you. That's how this works. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep in a time like this? What a great question for the captain to ask. Wake up. How can you sleep? Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Ever been there? Have you ever been in such deep rebellion, frustration, or anger with God that you throw a tantrum against our God for what he's done or is asking you to do? I think Jonah would rather die than, than surrender. Verse 7, then the crew cast lots, so Jonah doesn't say anything. So the captain goes back up, and the crew now cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and, ca gods and caused a terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Okay, just a side note. So lots work? Apparently they did on this day. What is a lot? I, Google it. I have no more information than you on this stuff. 
Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Can you just, can you just visualize this? They're in the bottom of the boat. The sailors are around him. We found him. He's sleeping. The captain grabs him, and they're shaking him. Who are you? Who's your God? What nationality are you? What are you keeping from us? That's what happens. This is a real story. This isn't just a parable, as Bill O'Reilly likes to say. This really happened. Are you going to tell me that it's possible to live in the belly of a whale for three days? I'm telling you that it's possible for God to bring the dead back to life three days after, or four days after, in the case of Lazarus. forgot his name. We hang out. Not only that, but I'm here to tell you that in, I think it was in 1897, there was a dude who was swallowed by a whale, and it caused the whale to be constipated. It's in the New York Times. The whale dies, and a whaling ship finds the dead whale floating, and they take its skin and the oil left in it that hasn't dried out, and inside of the belly of the whale, 27 hours after being swallowed, he was still alive. He lived for another 30 years blind and bleached. But it happened, according to the New York Times. You weren't there. Neither were you. I'm just telling you what the newspaper says. They, uh, on his tombstone, and I'll show it to you in a couple weeks when we get there. On his tombstone, it says, Modern Jonah. So I don't, I don't know if it happened or not. I wasn't there when they opened the well. I'm just telling you that the New York Times, which is completely trustworthy. What? You are cynical. Crazy, crazy. So they shake him. What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Oh, no. You see, remember that in the New Old Testament times, you worshiped a God for what he would do for you. So you had a harvest God, and you had an ocean God, and you had much like the Catholic Church has saints, but they had gods. Well, he just identified himself as a Jew. That's significant. Um, because they had seen the acts of his God and heard the stories, but it's even more significant when he identifies the God of the Hebrews as the God who made the land and the sea. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, our boy has a little bit of integrity. You see, there's no private or personal sins. A child of God, you are his workmanship created and saved in Christ Jesus to accomplish the work he's called you to accomplish. That is why you were saved, according to Hebrew or Ephesians 2.10. I am the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus, created in Christ Jesus, so that I can perform good works, which he prepared for me to do before time. He's got a task. And this was Jonah's. I think we forget in 1 Corinthians 6.19 and 20. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Spirit? This is God's temple. Holy Spirit takes control. He lives in you and was given to you by God. Don't you understand that? Do you understand you do not belong to yourself? For God bought you with a high price. He bought me, yeah. Well, I thought that just meant I get heaven. No, it means he owns you. He bought you with a high price. He purchased you. Adoption, you became his kid. He's your daddy. This wasn't about heaven and hell. This was about family. Well, what does that mean? Honor God with your body. And that doesn't mean don't smoke. I grew up being taught that because of this, we don't smoke. That might be fine, but that's not the point. The point is honor God with your body. That means everything you do with this thing is borrowed property. Use it well. Not like you use rental cars. There's only seven of you that drive a rental car like me. 
When I sign that document and get that insurance, I'm like Seinfeld looking over the counter going, you know what I'm going to do with this car over the next three days, don't you? You guys don't do that. It's a rental car. Drive it like you stole it, then return it. Pretty incredible. Pastors shouldn't say that. I never said I was good at this job. It's not your body. It ain't yours. I don't think we realize really what the cost of being purchased is. It's ownership. Why would God do that to me? Because it's not yours. It's his. Why would God do that to Job? Why would God ask Jonah? Why doesn't he raise another prophet who has a love for the Gentiles? Because he didn't want to. That's his body down there. You're his body. He can do whatever he wants with us. I beg of you, surrender complete control of your life to your Savior today. I know that some of you are gravely disappointed with how your life is turning out. Maybe you're single and you want to be married. Maybe you're married and you want to be single. Maybe your wish you could have something you don't. Maybe you're sick and you can't understand it. It's his body. I know it's hard, but that's why it's called faith. Give it back. Trust him. That's where joy is found. Jonah 1.10, the sailors were terrified when they heard this. For he'd already told them he was running away from the Lord. <laughs> wow. Why did you do it, they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Jonah says, throw me into the sea, and it'll become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. I wonder if he wasn't sleeping because he was depressed. Ever been depressed? It's one of the symptoms. You don't want to get out of bed in the morning and you want to go to bed really early. I wonder if he was bummed. You ever been depressed at God's plan for your life? I haven't had that experience because my churches have always been perfect. You know, actually, I'll say to Julie sometimes, I, I've said it to several of you, I have the weirdest job in the world. I'm clearly told in Scripture that I need to correct, instruct, rebuke, and train in righteousness. And of those same people that I correct, instruct, and train, and rebuke, I'm supposed to ask to support so I can feed my family. Is that the most ridiculous thing you ever heard? If you own a business, try slapping your, 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 uh, <laughs> try slapping your clients. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. But it's a task. And there's a lot of us who are worried, you know, how do I, how do I live in a world that's, you know, encouraging immorality? Again, the, the homosexual issue. And, and I own a cake company. How can I make a cake for a homosexual couple? What do I do? You do the best you can under the leadership of the Lord. I want to remind you that if you make a cake for them, you have not bankrupted the kingdom. I'm not telling you you should. I'm simply telling you that what you have to do is build a relationship with them. And if you alienate them, what have you accomplished? I mean, I, I'm still wondering, after, the, after Target decided to turn the bathrooms from, um, and Julie has a good answer. You should ask her privately of the answer because I can't. It's not appropriate from the pulpit. But the pictures 
should change so that you know it would solve the problem. If you have this body, you go in here. If you have this body, you go in here. It solves the problem. Just so you know, you still have to go to Target. You know that, right? No, I don't, not as an American, but as a child of God who needs to reach transgender Target shoppers for Jesus. You still have to go. Or you can get in a boat and go the other way. Here's the problem with Tarshish. It was worse than Nineveh and half as successful. If you're going to take a stand with Target, you can't fly in any aircraft in this country right now. They're all made with pro-transgender corporate decisions. Not only that, but every one of their bathrooms is a transgender bathroom. Did you know that? And you can't buy a car because all of them support that community. You've got to be consistent. So I'll see six horses in the parking lot next Sunday, right? Here's the problem. we got to live here and minister here. And if we're going to put a sandwich board on ourselves saying who will minister and who we won't, like Jonah does with Nineveh, we're going to condemn everybody and not reach anybody. And these guys are about to die because of this guy's sin. So what do we do? Throw me over. Throw me over, he says. Instead, I love this. This is interesting. Verse 13. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Just a side note. Sometimes sinners are better people than saints. I don't know about you, but I'd have thrown his butt over, overboard. And as he's flying off the side, I'm going, how dare you do this to me, glug, glug. <laughs> Not them. They actually were willing to take the God of the Hebrews on to save this self-centered jerk's rear end. You get it? Verse 14. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked up Jonah and threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. The Hebrew word for this means immediately. It immediately stopped. When he hits the water, everybody on board falls over because they're doing this because they know how to stand up on a deck in a storm and it stops. It stopped so radically that verse 16 says the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, not just of the storm, but to stop the storm, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Yeah, yeah, isn't it cool to take the story and slow it down? It ain't about a whale, it's about a God. You see, the story of Jonah is only titled Jonah. It's not about a dude, it's about a dude's God. God of the universe. Who is this God? that will even take a man's rebellion and reach people for himself. Who is this God who is so powerful that he can use our rebellion to bring about his work? 
we have forgotten how awesome our God is, how amazing our daddy is. Psalm 113 says, praise the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord now and forever, everywhere, from the east to the west. Praise the name of the Lord, for the Lord is high above the nations. His glory is higher than the heavens. Who can can be compared to the Lord our God, who is enthroned on high? He stoops to look down on heaven and on earth. And he lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets uh, uh, them among price, uh, princes and even the princes of his own people. He gives childless women a family, making her a happy mother. Praise the Lord. This one that we serve, this is the one who sent his son to die for us. He sent his son to seek us. He came looking for us while we, in effect, flipped him the bird. You and I look at people in our culture of a different political establishment, of a different moral code, and we go, you are wicked, you are evil. How can you do this to God? And God is going, please come to me. Come on. I love you. And we're going, how can you love them? So much so, this is the attitude of his followers, that he has to send the disciples away so that he can minister to a woman at a well in Samaria. You see, the children of God have always forgotten their place. We are merely one piece of clay telling another piece of clay what the potter looks like. We're not special. We are not better than them. We're not better looking than them. We don't have better music than them. We're not cleaner than them. We are just as condemned as they are. Only God has opened our eyes to his mercy and his grace. How dare we say, I'll minister, but I ain't going to Nineveh. And when pastors do it, they have lost their focus and enable the saints to say, I am going to stand against that group. And your task, if we believe that Jesus came not to condemn, but to seek and save, your and my task isn't to tell them they're going to hell, but to tell them they don't have to. It's not to list the things that they can and cannot do as Christians. It is to tell them what they get despite their sinfulness because of God. And why? Because we deserve hell too. We are in so much trouble without Jesus Christ's mercy. And we, like Job, have forgotten that. As he's listening to God, and you understand that a prophet in the Old Testament talked with God. God talked with them. They met. He said, I want you to tell them this. This was a conversation. Somewhere along that, Jonah kind of got, okay, yeah, you got it, dude. I'll go head over there tomorrow. I'll get on a camel and right over there, it'll be done. Jonah forgot that without God's mercy, he too would be under condemnation. And then when he woke up and was told to do something he didn't want to do, He hid in the bottom of a boat or fell asleep because he would rather die than save people he didn't want saved. What about us? I'm not saying homosexuality is okay. It's not. It's a sin just like gluttony and lying and self-righteousness. It's a sin. But nobody's going to hell because they're gay. They're going to hell because their sin has not been forgiven. You can title it whatever you want, but people don't go to hell because they're transgender. They go to hell because they have not accepted Christ's offer to forgive their sins. Just like Baptists and Catholics and Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and Buddhists will go to hell without Jesus Christ if they're trusting in anything but Him. 
And I'm looking out here, and a lot of you are nodding, and you know this to be true. This isn't about you getting saved. This is about you saying, okay, God, I'll go to Nineveh. Nobody in my understanding of Scripture is asking you to like these people or even love these people. But your daddy loves them, so you need to minister to them whether you like them or not. Go get them. Well, it's hard. Don't worry. I'm looking at you. You're almost done. You're old. Just like me. It's, time's almost up, folks. You've only got another 50 years to do this, and then you'll be done. Then you can retire. But until then, you tell everybody that they don't have to die in their sins. I think they should. Thank God you don't get to make that call. That's not your call. And it's not my call. Thank God for that. If you're not saved, don't run to the church, run to Jesus. He's the only one that can save you. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised from the dead, the God who loved the Ninevites and the guys on that ship enough to save them despite the rebellion of his prophet is chasing you and begging you to allow him to forgive your sin. Allow him today. And for the rest of you, I look around this room and I believe with all my heart that most of you are surrendered to the Lord. I know that's a bold thing for a pastor to say, but I believe it. I know you. But there are areas in your life that we'll call Nineveh that just need to be cut out. It's as simple and as difficult as that. Let's close in prayer. I'm just going to be quiet for a moment and I'm going to let God speak to you. And I encourage you, brothers and sisters, to talk to your daddy. I don't know what he's putting on your heart right now, whether it's a sin in your life or rebellion in yours or somebody else's, but I'm just going to, I'm going to be quiet for 30 seconds. It's going to feel like a long time and I want you to talk to your dad. Father, as your child, sometimes I forget that my own rebellion and my own sin affects my family and affects my church and affects my community, my country, and my world. I see myself as just an irrelevant small fish in a big pond, and today you reminded me that that's not how this works, that we're intermingled, that we're one, and we're given gifts and passions and callings that meet your agenda, not ours. And so, Father, I pray that you would reveal to me areas of my life that is not surrendered so that I would surrender that area. And for my family here, Father, I pray they would leave with joy and excitement for the God of the universe adores them. And that you would reveal to them areas of their life that are not surrendered as well so that they can be surrendered to. We love you. We thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Bible study is going to start in about 10 minutes. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.